Hi, I'm Amanda McClooney. And I'm April Klimkevich, and this is Her Step Forward, where we share stories from women who step up, step out, and step forward into careers and lives they love. Dawn King is an attorney in Massachusetts. She graduated from Northeastern University in Boston with a degree in political science and a minor in business and holds her Juris Doctor from New England School of Law. Dawn worked as an attorney at the City of Boston Law Department for 12 years until recently taking a position with the court in Worcester, Massachusetts. Dawn has focused her legal career in the public sector working as a state and municipal attorney. Dawn has also been a fitness instructor for over 20 years, teaching all styles of classes, including Zumba, indoor cycling, HIT and boot camp classes. In her spare time, she also runs with her dog and does half marathons. Dawn and her husband love to be outside with their dog and travel, including visiting national parks around the country. Welcome, Welcome Dawn. <laughs> Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. We're so glad you're here. Yay. Glad I always, to be here. I always describe you as a, a lawyer by day and an aerobics instructor by night. So I feel like <laughs> this is like a much uh, more interesting introduction than the one that I usually give for you, Dawn. <laughs> I think you're pretty accurate. <laughs> oh, well, Dawn, to get us started today... You worked for the city of Boston as a lawyer for 12 years, and you recently took a new job in central Massachusetts. And that must have been a really big change. So can you talk to us about making that transition? Absolutely. Um, So I'm going to go back like three and a half years, and that's when my husband and I decided, hey, we've been in this condo in Boston since uh, we got married, a condo I bought before I even met him. Um, and it's time to, you know, buy a house. We've been saving money and we started looking and it just became way too much money, way too small. The conditions of the homes were not adequate. My husband's very picky. <laughs> um, and, you know, we kept looking and the whole plan was we we're going to look for a house. Um, and then, you know, if that doesn't work out, we're going to decide what we're going to do from there. Um, and working for the city of Boston, you are required if you were not in a union, um, that you have to live within the city limits. So that includes all the neighborhoods of Boston. Um, and I, currently we were living in Dorchester. Um, so we were looking to go maybe to a couple neighborhoods a little bit further out, you know, maybe like 10, 12 miles from the city. Um, and it just cut to the point where it was almost depressing to go look at houses. And then we kind of took a break and regrouped. And I said, all right, let me see if there's any jobs out there for me um, that would allow us to move outside the city. Um, and I did not want to leave my job. I loved my job. I had been there for, you know, for nine years at that point, I had gotten a promotion. I was running the claims department by myself, supervising employees. I didn't have to drive to work. I took the tea. Um, but you know, the traffic in Boston is horrendous. My husband works far outside the city And that was not working for us collectively. So I said, let me just see what's out there. And probably now two years ago, I started applying for jobs. Um, And as April knows, that also was very depressing because I thought, hey, I've been a government attorney for 12 years, you know, and 
somebody will want me. I'll get an interviews right away. And that just was not happening. So I got a reality check pretty fast. Um, and it took a long time for me to even start getting interviews. And then I landed upon my current job last June. I applied. They called me back in two weeks. I went, I convinced myself they were just using me to hire somebody else to make it look like they were making the process fair. I went into the second interview kind of with that same attitude. I was actually really irritated that they called me back because I thought that they were just using me to put somebody else in the position because it government jobs can be known for that without go, not going into too much detail, but that does happen. Um, and then they offered me the job and I was floored. And I was floored because I had done civil litigation my entire career, which is like injury, personal injury, car accidents, all kinds of property damage. And they hired me to be um, a courtroom clerk to a judge who 90% of his caseload is criminal law, (laughs) which I knew nothing about. Um, So I said, hey, why not? They had faith in me. um, And I took the job. And I guess the rest is history. And we're moving to Worcester uh, in five days. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. It's a huge step. I love to hear that you decided to stick your neck out there because I think it's something April and I talk about often and there's statistics on it, right? Like women will see a job opening and they'll be like, oh my gosh, I only have 70% of the things they're looking for. I'm not going to apply. I I have to have a hundred percent. Whereas men are like, oh, I've got 30%. I'll apply, you know, and not to say that those numbers are concrete, but it's something that we love to hear from women that they take a chance and try something new and then it works out and, and it's a brand new chapter. Yes. And I actually credit April for that because she said exactly what you just said, Amanda, when I was looking at job descriptions and saying, no, then why, why even bother applying for that? And she's like, do it, do it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you, Dawn. That's so sweet. Um, I wanted to bring up a topic that I know is a, a little bit more of a difficult topic because I work with a lot of people around this and anybody who's ever lost a job feels like they're the only one who's ever been fired or let go. And now is a bit a bit of a different time when we're thinking about um, what's going on right now with coronavirus and a lot of people being out of a job at the same time. But typically, if somebody's fired, they take it very personally. And, um, you know, I, I one of the things that I do as a career coach and counselor is help normalize it for them. And I know that um, you've been very successful in your career, but there were times early in your career that you struggled with losing a job. Can you talk to us about what that experience was like? Yes. And I think that's a really important question to ask because I learned so much from those experiences. And I'm going to, there was actually two experiences I had um, when I graduated from law school. Um, Before I even passed the bar, I got a job at a medical malpractice law firm in Boston, very small solo practitioner, one attorney running the show. Um, And he was a character. He tried to run that office like he ran his household, like, like he had 20 employees under him and he had two. It was me and his secretary. Um, And he was just one of those people with that abrasive personality Um, I don't know that he typed anything on the computer and this was back in 2004, but 
um, it was, it was tough. He was the kind of, kind of person that you might think about when you think of, you know, some old school partner at a law firm, that was him. There was a lot of yelling, um, you know, trying mismanagement of the office. I worked there for about a year and I learned a lot. I learned about how to read medical records. I learned how to deal with expert witnesses. I learned how to take a deposition. I learned so much, but I learned it in kind of that environment that I just described. So that was a little bit tough. Um, After working there for about a year, you know, he actually came to me and said, I'm really sorry, but I have to lay you off. Um, So he was actually genuine and that kind of like put a better taste in my mouth about the whole experience. You know, he actually felt bad. Um, But in a sense, I felt liberated because I didn't have to be in that environment anymore. Um, So I got laid off. And then very shortly after, I got another job at a little bit of a bigger law firm that also did the same um, type of stuff with injuries and some workers' compensation, which I had never done. So I learned a lot about that. But it became very clear that the, you know, the owner or partner of that place was very similar to the first one. Um, and he was actually doing things that later on, after I left there, were discovered that were... Um, unethical and against, you know, the rules that we have to follow as attorneys. Um, And I refused to be involved in any of that when I was at the law firm. So I knew eventually it would catch up with him and I didn't want to be involved in that. But again, after about a year and a half at that place, he tried to fire me when he was really just laying me off because it was two days before Christmas. Um, because I probably didn't want to pay unemployment. That's the only reason I can think of. And that that was actually pretty bad. He tried to accuse me of stealing clients, which I did not do and had no intention of doing. And that left a bad taste in my mouth. But again, I also kind of felt liberated from, from that job. But it was two days before Christmas, and I was just like, whatever. Like, what am I going to do? Merry Christmas, right? Mm. Um, and then... So those were two experiences where I had to go to work and put what I call the Teflon shield on every single day and just separate what was going on at work and what was going on in my personal life. My personal life, you know, was fine and I was happy and I was enjoying things, but it was tough to go to work at those places for sure, even though I learned tremendously and was given a lot of responsibility. Um, And then shortly after that, I actually got the job at the city of Boston. So no harm, no foul. I learned a lot, but it was, it was really tough, especially being a female, having two male bosses um, that were like that. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate you um, talking about this because I think that when you're in that moment of having lost your job, having been fired right before Christmas for something that you didn't do sometimes you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. Like, what am I, how am I ever going to find another job? What's going to happen for me next? And I love your story because you weren't, it it had nothing to do with um, the quality of your work. You're a great lawyer. You've um, proven that with a career since then. But in those early days and in those moments, um, people can often just feel like, oh my gosh, maybe, maybe I'm not supposed to do this and I've worked so hard and I've gotten this degree and like, what if this isn't for me? And so I think this is a very encouraging success story because it's really all about fit. It's not just about being able to do the work. 
Right. I, I definitely couldn't agree more. And those two experiences I just spoke about were actually private law firms. So <laughs> I went public sector and I never went back after that. So that's <laughs> yeah. why in searching for my current job, I said, I'm going to search for a job, but it's going to be a government position. Um, and if I can't get one, I'm just going to keep looking because I just did not want to go back to that. I just couldn't. And, you know, the for the 12 years I worked at the city of Boston, my um, supervisor actually was a female who had been there since like 1985 and she was great. And I just, I just couldn't take the risk of going somewhere where I didn't have that again. Don, so I think some of the, the things that you've been talking about with working at those small private offices, you, you kind of touched on, and I want to expand that a little. And I'd say that the legal field is, often considered or perceived as a good old boys club. So can you talk to us a little more about your experience, um, both in the office and also in the courtroom? Yes. So you definitely hit the nail on the head, Amanda, that there's definitely a stereotype like that. And there are fewer and fewer instances of that, I will say, going on. Um, As soon as I started working for the city of Boston and I found myself um, in the trial court often, What I noticed, and I don't want to put men down, is that many of the older male attorneys who would show up knew nothing about their case. The associate had been working on it, um, and they just kind of picked up the file and walked into the courthouse. And I, I really quickly learned that whatever was going on with them, I was more prepared and I knew more about the case than them. So I immediately didn't feel this old boys club kind of thing because I think in the old boys club, they were just, you know, doing too much golf and less work, Um, (laughs) honestly. So, you know, so I never, it's definitely perceived that way. And there's lots of good male attorneys out there who work really, really hard to get to where they were. But you know who they are and you know they're prepared and they treat you with dignity. And I've never really felt like I was inferior as a female, at least in most of the cases that I was involved in. Um, working in the court, it's you definitely don't see that at all. Um, every single person I've worked with and you know currently work with in the court – I don't feel that at all. I mean, I am the clerk, so I'm kind of the gateway to the judge. So everyone kind of is nice to me anyway. Um, But I definitely don't see that, you know, amongst, I guess, what you call different sides of the V, the the U.S. attorneys or the prosecutors and then the defense counsel. They're very cordial to each other and everyone works really hard. So I don't see that as much anymore. I think in in certain areas of practice, like ambulance chasers, maybe, you know, people see those on TV, maybe you'll see that a little more, but I I really don't see that as much anymore. That's refreshing to hear. I'm glad that you're able to do what you need to do, study your notes, be prepared. Um, And I'm glad to hear that it's maybe not the perception that some of us would see from the outside looking in. (laughs) And I can tell you, no matter what gender you are, if you show up in court and you are not prepared, it doesn't matter who you are. <laughs> the judge will know immediately and not be happy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's refreshing. And, and, you know, I mean, considering 
the cost of legal fees. I mean, I've never had to had to worry about it, but I'm sure it's very expensive to have to go to court and hire attorneys and things. So, um, yeah, you should be getting what you pay for. So, <laughs> well put. Yeah. Yeah. Well, switching gears a little bit, and you know, I guess kind of like thinking about judging the book by the cover and how how that's not really a great thing to do. So when people see you in court, they might not know about your second life as um, a runner and an instructor. So, you know, you've been doing this for years. And I'm just curious how fitness has shaped you. So I've actually been doing fitness longer than I've been an attorney and probably longer than I've been doing anything else. Um, I started in college when I was 19. I got certified that was a long time ago. Um, and I've just been doing it ever since. I just, I'll tell you really quickly how I got into it. I was on the Northeastern university rowing team, my freshman year. Um, we practiced in the afternoon after your freshman year, you have to practice at six in the morning. And I said, Nope, I didn't go to college to get up at 5am and (laughs) row and study. So I went to the gym and there was a sign that said, do you want to be an aerobics instructor? And I said, I can do that. Now, I had never taken a fitness class ever in my life. (laughs) You know, I was going to the gym like all the college kids did. And I I had taken dance from a very small age, and I was still doing that. So I knew I had some ability. Um, So I just signed up, never, ever having taken a robust class in my life. Um, I kind of do that with a lot of things. Lifeguarding happened that way, too. (laughs) Um, So I just, I, I took the class. I met some great people. I got certified. Um, and I just kind of integrated myself into all of the Boston gyms. There's probably very few of them in Boston that I haven't worked for at this point. Um, and it is such a great thing to do that's not the legal profession. Um, maybe we have type A personalities. We just want to be in control. We want to tell people what the workout is. If I go to someone else's class, I have anxiety because I don't know what the workout is because I didn't make it up. Um, but I just... It's a place for people to go, not only to work out, but after doing it over 20 years, it's their stress relief. We talk about work. We talk about life. We talk about people's kids. You know, all the people that I've known for years saw me grow up from age 19 to where I am now. Um, and it was really actually hard to leave those places when I when I took the new job. I had to, to end teaching at the gyms in Boston. But of course, I immediately sought out all of the gyms in Worcester immediately. That was like number one. <laughs> Forget the new job. That's, that's where I need to be. Um, and it's just such a great experience. People are genuine. People are committed and motivated. And, you know, being an instructor, maybe I'm a little bit more than them, but they show up blizzards, rain, it's cold. You know, maybe they hurt their foot, April, <laughs> and they're going to go anyways, and they're going to do yoga. Um, so it's just, it's a really big part of my life, but it also keeps me very busy. I pretty much do, you know, work, eat, sleep, gym. That's kind of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love it. And thanks for the call out. Actually, a friend was like, oh, are you going to be canceling yoga class because you sprained your ankle? And I said, no, there are so many things that you can do in yoga that do not include yes. standing on your hurt foot. There so, you go. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And and I love that this is your, um, the, the way that you connect 
with people and stay in your community in an additional way to work in a different way than work and something that brings you so much that fills you up. So I, I just, and I know that you'll be doing this for the rest of your life, no matter what else happens. So <laughs> even if I have to just lay on the floor and tell people what to do. <laughs> I love it. Now that's a fitness class I want to see. Dawn sitting at the front, just sitting in a chair, sitting on the floor, doing whatever, and just ordering everyone around. (laughs) Do you know that there's so many times I should have done that because maybe I didn't feel well or I did actually hurt myself and I could not do it. I could not stand there and tell them what to do. I I can't do it either. The whole workout with everybody. Yes. (laughs) Same. Yes. Well, and I'm sure it's, you know, like any kind of workout, you have a stressful career. I'm sure at least at times, very stressful. And it's good that you have an outlet to, you know, do something else, take your mind off of work, get the endorphins going. So Mm -hmm. good for you. So Dawn, here is something that is so special to both April and I, and it's being a fur mom and you're a fur mom, just like both of us. And we know that you had a cat for a long time, but you recently adopted a dog. So tell us a little bit about how Griffin has changed your life. Yeah. So Griffin is, I, well, my husband and I say is one of the best things that ever happened to us because we actually decided to adopt him right about the time that I described. We were looking for houses and that was depressing. And, you know, we were just kind of in that stagnant state of, trying to move forward, but we couldn't because there was no house and no job for me. Um, So we, my cat who was almost 19, um, who April actually knew very well, um, passed away. And immediately I said, okay, time to get a dog because my husband did not want a cat, which is fine. Um, So I think only three months went by and then we got Griffin. We adopted him from Arkansas. from an organization down there who found him abandoned on a farm, um, but otherwise in pretty good shape. Um, and we adopted him. He is a Datsun uh, Jack Russell mix and he is a load of energy, but he's a very good boy. Um, he does not destroy anything he shouldn't. And he is just so much fun. I actually started running with him to channel his energy and actually was able to train him how to walk on a leash better and how to obey commands better um, because I think he processes life at the speed of running. Um, so I actually had a long learning process of trying to figure out the best, you know, what was best for him, taking him to PetSmart and asking him to sit there, you know, <laughs> it was just not, not his cup of tea or, you know, bowl of dog food. He just wanted to be meeting people and on the go and it, he got through the class, but he definitely was not the model student. <laughs> um, so he is just the sweetest, most lovable thing. And we just love him so much. And I always joke that I wish I could clone him. Oh, I love that you took it upon yourself to figure out what is the best learning style for Griffin and what is Griffin's bowl of dog food. I mean, mm-hmm. you're an exemplary for a mama. And it sounds like a great match because he loves running. You love to be very fit and active. So I think it actually worked out well that he wasn't, you know, like an obedience class kind of dog because now you have an activity that you get to do together and spend the time together. Right. I I love it. He, 
you know, since um, everyone was working from home during the coronavirus, he actually runs with me four times a week now. So that dog is up to over 20 miles a week. Oh my gosh. Um, and he, he's a shorty. He's a Dotson. I was going <laughs> to say, doesn't he have short legs? How does he keep up? But he's, he's he doing does. it. It's <laughs> the not... Jack Russell. Yes. Like we, I, we oh, call, right. We call him a jacked up Dotson. He's got <laughs> muscles. He has the muscle definition you and I wish we had. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is so cute. <laughs> Dawn, we love hearing about Griffin, but um, we'll need to bring our time with you together to an end, unfortunately. So we would love to ask you what we ask our guests. What is your best piece of advice for women looking to take their next step forward? My best piece of advice is to go outside your comfort zone and don't be afraid of change. I was in a career for 12 years that I absolutely loved I loved going to work every day and I was not really looking for a change in that respect. But you have to look at your whole life. You have to look at your personal life too and your family and what works best for everybody. Um, And it took me probably almost a year to mentally prepare myself to find another job. That was the hardest part. But don't be afraid of it let yourself process it in your own time. And then when you're ready to take that next step forward, you will not be scared. Love it. Well, with that, we want to say thanks to everyone for joining us today. And thank you so much to you, Dawn, for taking the time to share your story with us today. And thank you guys. It was so fun. Yay. And as always, we're looking forward to sharing more stories soon. In the meantime, check out our website at herstepforward.com or follow us on Instagram at herstepforward for all of the latest updates. If you'd like to reach out to us, shoot us a message on Instagram or email us at info at herstepforward.com. See you next time.